0: Welcome to Food Friends, I'm Carrie, And I'm Sonia. We met in Los Angeles over 15 years ago as private chefs and haven't stopped talking about food since. We created Food Friends to share our stories
1: and recipes with each other and you. We're so glad you're here.
0: What this episode revealed to me is how much I've learned on my cooking journey and how my strong opinions about Sonia's side dish reveal how my confidence as a cook has grown over the years. What's also incredible is that when I pitch ideas to Sonia, she takes them and adds her own twists, and I learned from that too. And this whole conversation was inspired by Sonia's friends who hosted her and Jonathan recently and the menu these friends made for them. I'm excited to share this conversation because I think all of us benefit when we talk about food. In that spirit, I'd like to invite you to reach out to us if you have a question or an idea or something you want to share with us. We absolutely love hearing from you, and when you share, we all benefit. So thank you. I am so happy to
1: be talking to you today, Carrie, because I'm going to be hosting dinner tonight.
0: Ooh, tell me more.
1: You're just such a, a great person to bounce ideas off of. So I have my main entree planned. So let me set the stage a little. We're having two people over who are – I mean, foodies is not my favorite word, but they're like – they're in the food world. One of them is a culinary they professional. They appreciate good food. They appreciate yes. good food. They're familiar yes. with good food. Okay. So obviously, like – that doesn't mean I have to do anything crazy, but I do, I keep that in mind. These are people who appreciate this, right?
0: You want to show up for them. I wanna you want to show, show up for these guests.
1: Yes. yes. And so, I knew the entree that I was going to make cuz I made it last year for Passover, which was I f- had found this like local lamb at the farmers market. Side note, I'm not a big lamb person. I find a I lot I'm not of, either. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't a big lamb person. Let me put it that Uh-oh. way. In the past, I was not a big lamb person. I found it often gamey. I didn't really get the point. You know, I just wasn't, I think I'd cooked it once. It didn't turn out good. I was sort of afraid of lamb, but I was really like seduced by the local farmer's market <laughs> lamb purveyor. You know, just certain people are just like, they exude like a warmth. I'm sure you've had that. I
0: love how you just use the word sed- like seduce, seduction to describe a, f- a lamb farmer totally
1: seduced by this lamb farmer (laughs) in his beautiful knit sweater and his salt and pepper hair. And he was just so warm. I ended up buying all these lamb shanks, like kind of, I hadn't planned on it. And then I was thinking about like the lamb that I have eaten in my life that I've loved. And that really, those experiences were really in the Middle East for me. I lived in Israel for a while. And so I made this lamb. Just wait. Can yeah. I stop you?
0: The mm-hmm. so shank. You're braising it, right? Yes, you're, yes. you're You're caramelizing it, and then you're braising it. So it's it's like a fall off the bone kind of situation.
1: Right. Because okay. I love a braise for entertaining because what I love most about a braise is that you can make it several days in advance and actually it tastes better if you do that. And I love any kind of entertaining where you don't have to make the thing on the same day that you're serving it. So especially since it's a Wednesday that I'm hosting these people. So middle of the week, I don't have all day to like futz around in the kitchen. Well, back to the original recipe, which I've remade again. With the lamb shank, it really lends itself to braising. That's how The best like sort of form of cooking it low and slow, a braise is something where you cook something in the oven or even on a stovetop, usually um, submerge in some kind of liquid or broth and cook it for several hours until it's very, very tender. So in a food processor, blended up onions, carrots, celery, garlic, and I made almost like shy of a paste. And I browned the shanks, set them aside, then added the, this kind of vegetable pastish form to. Wait, tell me yes. again
0: carrots, celery. Okay, so onion. carrots,
1: celery. Oh, and shallot and onion mm-hmm. and garlic. And garlic. I okay. add all that to a food processor and like blitz it right. till it's a very, very, very finely chop- chopped. You could do this by hand. It just is so fast in the processor. Right, right, right. Okay, so I take that add it to the like browned drippings of the lamb shake that I've browned in my Dutch oven or in a roasting pan. So I'd already set brown the meat, set it aside. Then I add these vegetables to that. Then I saute them for a few minutes. Then I add tomato paste and get that all caramely. And then I add a ton of spices. So it's adding turmeric, cinnamon, a aracel Hano blend, black pepper, coriander, ginger. Any cumin in there? There's cumin in the spice in mix. The, yeah. Okay. And then I add the shanks back to the pot and I added a mix of red wine, water, and pomegranate molasses. So I add the liquids and then I added maybe let's say like a quarter cup of pomegranate molasses just for that like tangy sweetness. Tanginess. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I added some cinnamon sticks and a bay leaf and I just let that go in the oven until it was just insanely tender. So that took like two or three hours. It was the hit of Passover last year. That sounds it.
0: Incredible. Just the thought of the pomegranate molasses in that braising liquid. That's something that I just, I love that. When you're eating it, you're like, oh, I don't know what this is. Why is it so good? Why does it have this tartness that's so perfect? But then all those veggies too, I'm sure. Wait, so is the sauce chunky or is do you the sauce strain kind of, the sauce I
1: don't strain the sauce if I was in a restaurant I would but I don't mind like normally you know when you braise vegetables for a long time they lose their flavor but because it's kind of a puree it almost becomes like a thick sauce if that makes sense right. and yeah. to me it tastes good now if you're not into that you could totally strain this and then like reduce your sauce and pour that over the lamb shank and then you know, the great thing, like I said, is you make this like a day or two before and then you just reheat it in the oven and it truly tastes better if it's been made a couple days in advance. And then right before serving, I just cover it in cilantro and mint, fresh cilantro and mint or parsley. You could do pomegranate seeds if you had those. I mean, there's all kinds of options. Slivered almonds, toasted almonds would be
0: delicious. Oh my God. That sounds amazing. Wait, do you serve it? I feel called to a potato of sorts. So do you serve it with some kind of mashed potato or crispy potato what do you do
1: believe last year I served it with a root mash you know like a mix of root (laughs) mash that you
0: make that I have stolen and make a lot too
1: so that's like a mix of potato celeriac parsnip or rutabaga whatever you have and you just boil them till fork tender and then make a mash like you would mash potato but not as pureed like just a real like you take a masher and you smash it All the veg together.
0: I really appreciate this mash that you make because it can be made with just potatoes if you want, but then you can add in these other root vegetables and get all that great flavor too. But what I most appreciate about it is that it's non dairy. So you mash it with olive oil and you also grate in a garlic clove or two just use all like a, a rasp or a microplane a, like a yeah. fine yeah a microplane and that adds like a nice sharp flavor and then you always add or what I now have just taken all these ideas and made my own, a ton of herbs at the end. So did you do that last year too with this? Yeah. Or did all those flavors kind of compete with your lamb?
1: I'm pretty sure I did a root mash, but I'll have to go double. I'm like 99% sure. But here's the thing. Yes, I don't think the flavors compete. I think they can hold up to each other. And you could go more chill on the herbs if you were serving this with like a super flavorful braise. But what you're describing, that root mash, I think I first served that to you with a braised brisket. There's something about the wine and the meat, red meat, whether it's beef or whether it's lamb that just goes so well with like a starchy, herby flavor situation
0: I'm not shy about
1: flavors together
0: yeah and the olive oil in that to me is like a revolutionary experience because again like I did all the mashed potatoes that I grew up eating were very much you know butter and cream milk based and there's something really great about a mashed potato that is like that this is has a lightness and definitely also depending on the kind of olive oil that you're using, like it can just be grassy based on like, you know, and so it's just, it's and pep- delicious. And that like that of.
1: pepperiness of an olive Yes. Oil. Yeah.
0: Yes. And so yeah.
1: I learned how to make my, this is the technique my grandmother used on potatoes. So I added the root veg to the potatoes. That was my twist, but the whole recipe came from her because but she
0: used olive oil. She used
1: olive oil because we kept pretty kosher, which, and if you're kosher, you don't wow. mix milk and dairy. So, mashed potatoes for us often didn't have dairy. If
0: meat they, and dairy, right? Sorry. Yeah. So, thank sure, you. Yeah. Right.
1: Meat right. and dairy. You don't, so no chicken and beef or any of that with any kind of dairy product, which includes butter. So, if we were having a meat meal, we would have mashed potatoes that were made without dairy. And her thing was like, she would just take potatoes, douse them with olive oil and throw in fresh garlic, not cooked, and tons and tons of dill. And it was so good. And then I just started making versions of that. So here's my question. I don't know if I want to make mashed potatoes or smashed potatoes or smashed root veg. I don't know that I want to make that tonight because it's a Wednesday. It's the middle of the week. And that is like, even though the olive oil version makes it lighter, it still feels like a little bit on the hair too heavy for a midweek meal, you know? So I want to run some ideas by you and I feel like maybe you'll have your own idea. All right, there's the obvious like simple route of just a basmati rice, like a turmeric rice. But then I was thinking I have orzo. I love orzo, the pasta. And I was thinking I could do, I have some green spring onions and if I sauteed some spring onions and added a bunch of parsley, olive oil with some orzo, that would be like a lovely side to the lamb, but then I was second guessing myself. So I'm curious, if you were serving lamb midweek, is there an obvious side for you?
0: Wow. Okay. I have a confession, which is like, I don't really love orzo. Oh my God. My heart. (laughs) 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 So let's just like back up a little bit when you're talking about like sauteing some onions and then do you cook the orzo and drain it and then put it in? Or do you cook the onions throw in orzo and then like add like a water or vegetable broth how does that work?
1: I was thinking of the first thing where you cook off some onions on the side you cook your orzo and you mix them together and season them and I'm literally still so shook that you don't like orzo like I can't orzo is like my new favorite thing because it's like when you don't want rice and you don't want risotto and you don't want pasta and I do like often do like orzo bakes with like chicken or with vegetables or just throw it raw with a bunch of things in a casserole dish and broth and I cook it in the oven that way and my husband loves it And
0: like okay well I I guess like I have such a limited experience with orzo it's like not something I cook a lot with I don't have any in my pantry and I love rice we eat a lot of rice at our house and I like jasmine and I like basmati and there's so many different things that we do with rice at our house I guess when I'm thinking about lamb couscous is such a natural pairing for me. Again, like as the sort of resident Midwesterner um, in this place, you know, one of my entry points to like couscous was Trader Joe's. They used to have this like whole wheat couscous that came in a box and it took five minutes to make. The grains are so small that you're just putting hot water over them, letting them steam. And then they become this great tapestry for canvas for whatever else you've got going and they do the same job as rice which is like soak up saucy things there was a there was a couscous dish that I made I used to make for clients where I would saute onions or shallots or whatever and then add in the required amount of water for the amount of couscous that I was doing and then Steam the couscous and then put like fresh herbs and toasted pine nuts or some kind of toasted nut over top, which feels like that could also go with your lamb dish.
1: I mean, Um, I think you're right that couscous is such an obvious and smart choice. And I think my hesitation was because I don't actually have it in my pantry right now. But having said that, I need to go get sparkling water. I'd like to go get sparkling water. And we live about three blocks from a Trader Joe's, so it's certainly – A very easy trip. And you're right, it takes five minutes to make. And then I was, as you were talking, I was like, well, the spring onions go well in that. You know what else goes well in that is little slivers of butternut squash. There's something, because the pomegranate molasses flavors and the squash I know go well together. And I think if you add the veg to the couscous, it almost becomes a play on tagine or like those dishes where everything's cooked together, except for they're not. And then with a bright green salad that's a meal. And you don't really need much more than that.
0: Yeah. And then I agree with you. The the idea of like that root vegetable mash feels a bit fancy for a Wednesday night. And then it, I don't necessarily like a Wednesday night when I've just eaten something so heavy. And then for sure, like your friends will stay. Everyone will chat. There'll be a, a conversation. So everyone will get to bed later than they plan to and eat. You know, you just want to be sort of gentle with your digestion, I guess. But here, here's my confession of like why the orzo is bumping me. Because I'm just like, why do you want to dirty another pan to like boil the orso? That's my thing. I'm just like, do I really want to pull out another pan to like boil that pasta? It's the same thing as like boiling the potatoes. Like you're creating another mess so if you were to take your sauté pan, like a short-sided braised pan, right, that has a lid, you know, get your olive oil going, add in some of these beautiful spring onions, which of course could also be a mix of the root and the stems, like chop them up.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: Um, yeah, and then if you wanted to add like a tiny bit of spice or not, add that couscous Oh, here's the other thing. This was my other, like, I don't want to do another dish, is I would use that pan before I started the onions. I would use that – I would toast the nuts in that pan. Yeah. Maybe if there were any little pieces of nuts in there, I would just wipe it out a little bit. Yeah. I wouldn't rewash it because then you have your braising mm-hmm. pan that has the lamb in it and then you have the couscous pan and then you have the bowl that you toss the salad in and then you're also, like, reducing the number of dishes that you're doing on a Wednesday night. A
1: hundred percent. to and me think- is, like – And I think that's why I like orzo is because like I told you, I've been mostly using it in these kind of fancy casseroles. (laughs) That's what I call them. They're not even that fancy. But I just discovered that like you could throw in raw orzo into like um, vegetables and chicken with a little broth, cook that in the oven and you have a complete meal in one dish. And I love the texture of it. To me, it's risotto-ish, it's rice-ish, like a short grain rice. And it's like pasta-y without somehow it doesn't ever feel as heavy as pasta to me. Like a little of orzo goes a lot further. Like normally, you know, to feed a, a group of four, you'd probably use a whole box or bag of pasta. But with orzo, right. I might use like half a bag.
0: I feel like this is a place for me to explore and for us to even have a whole nother episode about what do you do with orzo? Because I think this is like a, a space that I haven't explored at all. Because also if you if you took out the pan to boil the orzo, you could take half of it and make it in your dish tonight and then save that other half of the orzo for something later on in the week or on the weekend or, or something like that.
1: I think you sold me on couscous though. I think I'm definitely, <laughs> I'm going to go couscous.
0: I mean, I didn't want to be too bossy, but I feel like the couscous is the way to go, especially if you're going out to get the sparkling water, like Trader Joe's has got great sparkling water. They've got the, they got the box of couscous. And I'll just add, and this is a bit of a sidestep because it's not savory, but I used to eat that couscous for a breakfast dish, not sauteing onions, of course, but you can Soften that couscous with a milk, uh, a nut milk, like oat milk or, or almond milk or something like that, or just steam it with some water and add nuts and dried fruit. And that is a delicious breakfast on the go. I like a grain for breakfast. I need something with chew. So if you were to just chop up some like raisins and apricots and almonds and you could add a little cinnamon to it. Genius.
1: And, I do that. And it also Yeah, go ahead. Yeah,
0: it also like you can throw that in a uh, I use a lot of mason jars in my house. So if you had like a 1-cup mason or a 2-cup mason, you can throw it in a mason jar and take it with you to eat at the office or in the car or whatever you oh know? i do
1: th- i do similar like especially with leftover like sticky rice for some reason sticky rice or a short game rice in particular i'll add like toasted sesame seeds and like a little maple syrup and some fruit or dried fruit and some rice milk or oat milk or whatever milk and that to me is like a little porridgey breakfast and it could be hot or cold on the go or not so yeah i'm Well
0: that sounds delicious although i still like a savory i fry rice for a once a week whatever little bits of rice that we have left over usually get fried into cold dried rice it's like one of my favorite things and i'll throw in a ton of greens kale or collards or whatever's like coming out of the garden or whatever needs to be cleaned out of the the produce store
1: well i really like that you're you were clear in your answer because that's what i was looking for i was looking for guidance so i'm happy to take your guidance of couscous and it reminds me there's one other thing i want to get at the store which is i mean again and When you're hosting people, you could just be creative with what you have already. I don't have to go to the store. I don't even have to have sparkling water. I just would like to, and I know I have a little window of time where it's not a big deal for me to hop over there. But if I didn't have that time, I would just scratch all this and use what I had. But because I do have time, I was thinking one other like fun piece of this plate might be making schug or zug. So some people say it's spelled Z H O U G, and it's that Yemenite herb sauce that's made with uh, cilantro and serranos or jalapenos and parsley and cardamom and garlic, and it's like the most addictive green sauce, and it goes so well with lamb, and goes so well with all these flavors. So it's like, and it really, it sounds like complicated, but it's as easy as putting it in a blender. or Just throw it in the, yeah. You
0: throw it in your blender. Or your yeah. food processor, I mean, whatever. I I'm in full support of that. Just like if you think about, again, from the plate, like what are, what's your plate looking like? If you've got like this sort of little pile of grains, you're adding this beautiful piece of braised meat, which is cooked for hours. There's a lot of flavors in it, but then you're adding this brightly colored, brightly flavored green over top of that plate. I mean, that is a, that's a very special meal for friends. That's very special for a Wednesday night. But I think that's also like the little extra piece that you want to pull out when you have time for sure. But also when you're cooking for someone who you know will appreciate it. I think that's something that is, you know, an occasion. it's I think it's asking a lot of someone to cook a homemade meal on a Wednesday night and to show up with for a meal like that. I'm in full support of the i don't I can't say it the way you do, the zoo.
1: well, I mean, <laughs> the thing is, You'll appreciate this because I actually wanted to talk to you about what this person, which she served me the first time I went to her house for dinner, which was on a Thursday night, so also a weeknight. And she made these-
0: I love friends like this. I want to be friends with this person.
1: I do too. It's like, why not have a weeknight meal if you can, you know? Totally. It's possible. But so she had made beautiful kofta, which are like, I think she used beef, like little kind of spiced meatballs, like little patty meatball things. And she made- a beautiful green salad and homemade uh, whole grain pita bread the fluffiest warmest most wonderful homemade pita oh and then some roasted carrots with some kind of beautiful simple flavoring or sauce but okay so that's not like a
0: million components that's a pretty so like on a Thursday night this friend of yours is just making like homemade pita this is not normal like this is not what a lot of other people experience (laughs) including me (laughs)
1: Okay, it wasn't even normal for me. And I remember being to her, I was like, you don't understand how special this is for me. And like, I was blown away by the meal. I mean, but the other thing was there were just these little touches. So she had made just the simplest tahini sauce, just tahini and garlic and water in like a squeeze bottle. And then she also served jarred amba and amba, like a fermented mango sauce that's common in the Middle East and I think in India too. Is it a hot
0: sauce? It's a hot sauce. It's a hot sauce. It's, a hot sauce. it's a very okay. spicy.
1: It's like chili, fermented mango, and lots of spices. And so it was kind of like build your own little pita pockets oh and that gosh. those little touches even though it was jarred umba and very simple homemade tahina sauce so simple but it was so inspiring to me and i was like i need these condiments and all my food i know how to make this i know how to buy this i need these things around and it was just one of those meals where you're like this is going to influence how i host and how i eat and even though of course these are even recipes i'm familiar with but seeing someone else put it all together right is that missing piece
0: yeah, and I I think one of the things that struck me about what you're talking about is and and tell me if this resonates for you is this idea of personalizing what you're describing with this pita meal is you can really every person can personalize this. If you're someone who really loves the tahini, really loves the hot sauce, you can add like a ton of it to it. Or if you're someone who really wants the flavor of those meatballs to shine through, if you're a kid sitting at the table, you can just have a meatball and a side of pita and be happy. And so I think there's something to be said about building a meal that is shared, but also personalized. When our son was really little, we wanted to get together with these friends. They didn't have kids they were you know young and fabulous and on the go all the time and so they came to us and I hosted but it was also like the middle of the summer a thousand degrees and I made make your own BLTs. and I toasted the bread and I I cooked the bacon ahead of time and I just had all these sort of mix-in things so part of the fun of sitting at the table was like everybody putting together their own BLT sandwich putting together a BLT and eating it in front of friends is like so messy and so then it just became like that was part of Of the fun of connecting with them and catching up with them, and also of our moment too, in having a baby, you know, was trying to get him to bed, and then all of us sit down and have a glass of wine and and eat these like messy BLTs.
1: I think you're right. That element of customizing it includes the person in the experience. It connects them to the food you're making and serving because now they get to have their own creativity with it. It's a little thing, but it's like that's what condiments do, right?
0: Yeah. And when you have
1: a homemade condiment, Even if it's as simple as literally taking tahini paste and stirring it with water, because that's actually all you need to do, even that little step, it creates some fun, right?
0: Yeah. Or I'm someone who I'm sure that this is a conversation that other people are having Do you like mayo or do you not? I'm someone who really loves mayo. And on a BLT, I love a lot of mayo. And I'm always really disappointed if I order a BLT out in the world, there's never enough mayonnaise on it. But there are other people who feel completely opposite of me. They could not be... Farther away from the mayo jar, the mayo bowl, whatever. Like they just want no part of that. And so I think that's what a meal like that too also offers is I can keep adding mayo to that sandwich as many times as I want.
1: Well, and that... Would lead us to a whole other episode on mayo, and then I could share <laughs> all of my husband's preferences and non-preferences and how I've yes. how I sneak mayo into things because oh, he thinks God. he doesn't like like it, but he actually does. But anyway, neither here nor there. I totally agree with you. It is really empowering, actually, and it's all of these little things that you just start learning as you host more, right? Like if you've never, if you're listening, you've never hosted people, or you're just starting to host. You don't have to get everything right. You don't have to know how. There is no right or wrong actually, but it is little like shift. Oh, if I just let people scoop some things onto their own plate that can create a really welcoming environment
0: and it gives people it gives people something to do with their hands there and it gets them involved in the meal and it gives them autonomy in what they're eating there are genuinely people who like to really eat plain and that's okay some kids cannot get enough of like really insane flavors that you would never expect them to want to eat and then there are adults that i have known that just really just want like a piece of plain chicken and some rice and they call it a day and that's okay no question
1: it is okay and you don't have to be a short order line cook to make everyone happy. But no. that's why it's like, these are the ways you can like build in some flexibility. I feel like yeah. this was really helpful for me. I hope I hope it is for other people too. I just love talking about hosting and menu planning with you. I can't get enough of
0: it. I would like to offer one other little story, which is that I actually hosted dinner last night and it was really on the fly. We are, we're in the middle of some days off of school. We've been traveling a little bit and our friends had been traveling. We were really missing them. I knew that I had this this frozen lasagna in my freezer, but it just got me thinking about like, what do you... What do you do? Do you keep things on hand in your freezer for a moment like that when you just feel this need of like wanting to connect with someone and wanting to have them over? We could have easily gone to the place down the street and had a burrito together, but that wasn't what we needed last night. We needed to be at our house.
1: I think people generally are just so happy to be fed. So when you're hosting, I really don't think we have to overthink it, even though I kind of did that at the beginning by asking your advice. But that's because it's well, you fun. We want to make it nice. Right. Well, it's also fun for right. me. I'm having fun with this. But if right. it's not fun, if you're having a busy week and spending a lot of time thinking about a menu isn't fun, and that happens to me too. It's not like every single time I have someone over, I make a big elaborate meal and have lots of fun with it. Sometimes a friend is just having a bad day, and last minute you want to invite them over and cheer them up. And you're going to feed them whatever maybe you were already making or whatever you have in your freezer. So, yes, the answer is yes. I love having a lasagna on hand for that reason. I think that's so comfortable. Do you make it
0: yourself Mm -hmm. or do you buy it? You make it yourself.
1: Yeah, but I don't always have it on hand. So, what I do tend to do is if I'm making lasagna one day, I tend to make many lasagnas and freeze a bunch. And I'm like, if I'm already going to take the time. And there's like,
0: you, you, You need a lot of counter space. Need a lot of counter. I feel like it just somehow it just ends up creating such a mess in the kitchen. So I I like this idea of if you're gonna do it, you might as well just double it because you're already like doing all those dishes anyway.
1: Exactly. So the other things I love to have on hand for like last minute people are coming over are dumplings that I didn't make. Bags of frozen bags of frozen dumplings, which you've talked about before. I love to have soups. You know, like I think. There's few things as comforting as a soup and salad night. I personally yeah. love that, and depending on the season and, the, and your
0: and your friends homemade p- uh, pita bread. That's what you need: soup and salad and some of that homemade pita bread.
1: I know the point is to gather together, and the foods inherently, I feel like, always taste good. Yeah, when you're sharing it with love, it's come from a good place, whether it's your ha- kitchen or someone else's.
0: It was so comforting to sort of gather around that pan and you know, I had some greens on hand and we just threw together like a, it was actually just like a saute of winter greens that we had. And and that's all you need. It's a perfect meal, the perfect dinner. Yeah. It was more intimate and more relaxing than even, I know there was some, a little bit of work involved in it, but then even just like going to the Mexican place down the street and we wanted to be in our house last night. So
1: beautiful. It was really great. I love it. Well, I'm hungry again. (laughs) And I'm ready to make dinner. And thank you, Carrie. This has been so fun.
0: Well, I'm excited to hear about your dinner. And I'm just putting an intention out there to learn how to make homemade pita bread at some point
1: together. Oh, that would be a dream. Thanks for being our food friend. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, leave us a review, and share this episode with friends. We love hearing from you, so follow us on Instagram
0: or drop us a line at foodfriendspodcast.com. Yes, we'd love to hear from you and your food friends. Happy cooking and eating.